Good morning, New Mercy. Today's scripture comes from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of God. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, New Mercy. I'm so delighted to be here. Uh, my name is Bob. I am one of the pastors here. I look, uh, truly look forward to laboring with all of you to build God's kingdom, to build relationships with you in the near future. Uh, please reach out. Please say hi. Uh, please don't be shy. Uh, please introduce yourself. If I forget your name the first time, don't be offended. If I forget your name the second time, then show some grace. If I forget your name the third time, then you have the right to be offended. Uh, but truly, uh, Chongmin, my wife, and I are really happy to be here. This is a dream come true for me. I grew up in Bergen County most of my life. I used to live uh, right down the street on Broad Avenue in Richfield. Uh, so uh, when I was in eighth grade, my family used to go to this church in Closter, and we used to live in Edison. So we used to drive like over an hour uh, every Friday and Sunday just to come to church. So we actually moved to Bergen County to Cresco at the time uh, to be closer to our church. Uh, now Chongmin and I live in Edgewater, and the drive to church this morning was great. Right? It was nice and short. Uh, so again, so thankful, uh, so humbled that I've, I've been chosen to serve here. Uh, today is kind of a semi-autobiographical sermon. Uh, I can't tell you everything. I need to save material for future sermons. Uh, but you'll get a glimpse of who I am and what my relationship with God has been like. I think two things I really love about ministry. Uh, number one is I love to read. I always tell people leaders are readers. Uh, right now, I'm still teaching uh, SAT reading at an academy. I have three more weeks left. So I get to you know, expound on the virtues of reading to my students. I read about two to three books a month, uh, different genres like fiction, nonfiction, Christian books. And I get to read a lot and share what I read with people publicly. Right? It's awesome. Right? So I get to be a teacher and a preacher. Uh, second is, I, I love to spend time with people and just hear their stories. So uh, Chongmin and I, we look forward to having you guys over in the future. I love talking with people and just praying for them. So perhaps we'll give you some physical food and hopefully nourish you spiritually as well. Uh, you might want to know how I'll compliment Pastor Key here at New Mercy, uh, how I'm different from Pastor Key, uh, besides the fact I'm shorter and slightly more handsome. Uh, who knows? I, th I think I'm more extroverted, and I don't like science fiction. Uh, we'll figure out the other differences later. So uh, this is basically a sermon of life principles that I try to live by. So I just want to start with this. Uh, you may have noticed, a few of you have probably noticed, uh, I use flying BK, that's flying, and then my initials B as in boy, and K. That's the name I use for all my social media. Thank you, Jay. So... <laughs> If you want to uh, friend me on Facebook, right, that's Flying BK, right, you can. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Flying BK. Uh, I go through seasons where I post a lot, and then I realize maybe I'm posting a lot because I want attention, so then I stop posting, and then I start posting again, so it's very cyclical. Uh, Twitter, even, if you want to read angry tweets about the New York Mets, you can check that out, Flying BK. And uh, a few times people have asked me, right, why Flying BK? Like, what's that all about? 
And what happened was when I was in college, it's when I really, I guess, adopted this identity. And I used to um, work at this, um, like the, the help desk at Columbia University. And I had this personal web page of mine connected to my personal uh, special email account. So I wrote this long uh, blog post, this long essay about what it means to be a flyer. And I was really excited because I finally like, put it all down paper for the world to see. But the problem was I was like a really bad employee, and then I got fired. And then what happened was like, I literally lost my account overnight. Like it just disappeared, like forever relegated to the digital dustbin. And uh, it, was just, it was just gone, right? Everything I wrote, right? So this message is kind of an attempt to redeem and rectify what took place about 20 years ago. So the sermon is called How to Be a Flyer, and it was actually uh, came about with my love for music. Uh, you know, the older we get, we realize that we don't have time for everything we used to love, right? Everything we used to enjoy. So we have to, like, pare down our interests. Uh, I'm a big sports fan. I told you last time I used to be a sports writer. And uh, now I realize that I only have time for so many sports, right? I still enjoy all the sports. I still follow them generally. Uh, but I'm really invested in two sports, right? Baseball and college basketball, right? And those are, like, like six months, and then six months it kind of fits, like, the calendar year. And the same with music. I used to be into so many artists and bands, but now I've just really pared them down. Uh, my favorite band now, uh, I actually shared this in my second round interview, and I was worried that it might hurt me, but uh, I, I really like this Christian hard rock band. Uh, their name is Red, like the color. Uh, if you don't like hard rock music with occasional screaming, uh, don't listen to them, because then you might think I'm kind of weird. But I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I've seen them in concert uh, 13 times. And uh, one way I knew that my now wife loved me was she came with me to a Red concert. Okay, it was actually our first ever live concert, if you could believe it, a couple years ago. And it was super loud. Uh, the bass was amped up. They scream a lot. So that was true love, right, that she came with me to that concert. Uh, but when I was in college, my favorite band was Delirious. How many of you know Delirious? All right, Delirious with a question mark, right? Uh, Martin Smith, the lead singer, just tremendous. And... Even now, when I want my soul to be revived, I just put on old school delirious, and I just listen to them and, and worship along with it, right? just thoughtful lyrics, fantastic music. Uh, listening to worship music and interacting with worship music is uh, truly a secret pathway that God has given us to draw closer to him. And a lot of their songs talked about flying. Let me give a few examples. Uh, one song, The Years Go By, The Years Go By and Still I Fly. Uh, another song, All the Way, How Can It Be That I Found This Love, A Love That Let Me Fly. Investigate, another amazing song. The chorus was, Fly Away, Fly Away, Where Heaven Calls My Name. And maybe their most famous song, Deeper, had this line, Maybe I Could Run, Maybe I Could Fly to You. So those songs had a deep impact on me in my spiritual growth. And during this time, I was reading my Bible a lot in college, and I came upon this passage that I want to talk about today. And of course, because this is my sermon, the prophet I'm choosing is named Habakkuk. <laughs> my last name is Ku. Oh, sorry, I, I apologize. Uh, before we look at this short passage in Habakkuk, uh, let me give you a little historical background. So Josiah was a godly king. He came on the scene and he restored Israel to following the Lord. He got rid of the high places, the idols, the, the altars to false gods. He brought great reform. Uh, and, and the people were following God because of a godly king. But Josiah is killed in battle. 
And shortly after that, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, or Habakkuk was a prophet to, they quickly revert back to their old ways. They fall back into bad habits. They fall back into idol worship. They fall back into very detestable practices, such as child sacrifice to the idol Molech. And as you can imagine, as a prophet, right, who's, his job is to turn the people back to God. Right? His job is to warn the people of what's happening right, and to get them right with God. This is a very distressful time, right, just full of stress for Habakkuk. The whole nation is going to hell in a handbasket. They're all turning away from God. This is a man whose job is to, you know, draw them near, and instead they're falling away. And not only that, in the book of Habakkuk, God basically tells him, because of this judgment, because of how they've been unfaithful, right, they're going to be overtaken by a pagan nation, the Chaldeans. So imagine if you're Habakkuk, you're hearing this news. You're already stressed out. You're already anxious. You're already weeping for your country. Uh, you're devastated. And then God comes along and tells you that the people that you love, the people that you've been praying for, the people that you've been pouring your heart for all the time, that they're going to be overrun by a godless people. So this whole book, uh, Habakkuk, very short, just three chapters, it's basically Habakkuk lamenting, grieving, sighing. He is disillusioned. He is uh, greatly worried about the coming destruction. Things are going to get much, much worse before you can even think about things getting better. So at the end of this book, he is exhausted. He is wiped out. And here's how he starts the grand finale. If we could look at verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. He's being literal and metaphorical. It was an agricultural society, so this is actually the state of Judah, literally. This is what's going to happen soon with the coming judgment. But of course, it's also talking about uh, Judah's spiritual state. And it's even talking about Habakkuk's own personal state. And, you know, maybe some of us feel this way today. I think first on a grander scale, there's so much to be worried and anxious about in this world. You know, I was uh, going to write in my sermon that there's always mass shootings, right? And then yesterday, unfortunately, right, there was a mass shooting in El Paso, right? So this, this stuff happens, unfortunately, way too often, right? There's, there's a threat of terrorism constantly. Uh, we're now fully in the midst of the 2020 election season, and I can make one promise. It's going to be ugly, right? That's the one promise I can make about it. And there's a lot of anxiety and, and restlessness in our society today. And of course, many of us have had stress and confusion and uncertainty in our own lives. Some of you, life has been hard. Maybe you've had struggles with money. Maybe you've had struggles with health. Uh, people you love have had health issues. We've all had desires left unfulfilled. Uh, I told you last sermon, I was a career single. I got married at age 39, one month before my 40th birthday. I got married in my 30s. So <laughs> that was a struggle in my life. The, the rejection, the, the loneliness, all the pain that goes with it, uh, longing for desires to be fulfilled. All, right, all of us have been there. Maybe you're married and you're trying to have children, and that's a stressful and tender and emotional issue for you. Uh, some of you have children, and that's not easy either. You feel like you're going crazy and losing your mind. Uh, so life is hard. We all face battles. We can all relate on some level to what Habakkuk is saying in this verse. So here's what flying is all about. It's acknowledging that life is hard. 
It's acknowledging that circumstances get difficult. It's acknowledging that they may not get better. They may not get better in the short term or even the long term. They may not even get better in this lifetime. It's acknowledging the pain and the suffering and the brokenness. And yet, so after Habakkuk talks about how nothing is going right, everything is going wrong, nothing's going the way that he wants, we get to verse 18. Right? This is what he says in verse 18. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And that's what flying is all about. It's rising above the circumstances. It's choosing joy in the midst of sorrow. This is a decision. It's a choice that Habakkuk makes. He knows that judgment is coming. He can't stop it. He knows that his beloved nation is going to suffer. Again, we're not downplaying what's happening. We're not making light of it. And yet, he says, I will rejoice. I will be joyful. Now, that's one level. Some of you have probably done this. Okay, fine. I'll be joyful. Right? Okay, that's how some of us act, right? Like, fine, fake smile, right? But verse 19 shows that it's much more than that. It says, verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, that's the NIV. It's a little sanitized. I want you to picture a deer, a really powerful, majestic deer, Bambi, I don't know, um, just, just running free, right? just being nimble, effortlessly climbing and gliding up a mountain. That's more like the picture here in verse 19. When I read this verse in college, I was like, this is it. This is about flying. It's about running free, no longer caged by circumstances, not having my mood be dependent on the ups and downs of life, but roaming through each day with exuberance, with passion, with hope. The book of Habakkuk begins with lament and angst and pain, but it ends with joy and hope and looking forward to the future. But again, nothing has changed. Circumstances have actually gotten worse, and yet we see joy. That is flying. It is in the book of Habakkuk that we see the famous words. Next slide. Chapter 2, verse 4b, repeated in the New Testament. But the righteous shall live by his faithfulness, or the righteous shall live by faith, as it's more popularly known. The righteous shall always have hope, no matter the circumstance. At at a previous church of mine, we had a Good Friday service. We did like this contemplative service, really meditating and thinking about uh, the death of Jesus and what it means for us. And one exercise we had was to write a new name on this wooden tool that we were given. And uh, next slide, I chose this name, right? It's like, is it, there? is it there? So like Hope Hoper, right? Someone who has hope, right? But also a hopper, right? Like Habakkuk 319, someone who leaps for joy. That's pretty brilliant, right? Yeah, I know, I know, right? That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> when Habakkuk says, I will rejoice, I will be joyful, that literally means in the Hebrew, I will jump for joy. I will spin around in the God of my salvation. Okay, it's an active, um, even physical reaction. I want to share what G. Campbell Morgan, I love what he writes about this verse. It's a little, a little bit long, but so, so good. First slide, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
not in circumstances, but over them, not in the part that is seen, but in the whole that faith alone can comprehend. Not in circumstances can I rejoice oftentimes, but if I have this clear vision of God, it is given to me to rejoice over them. Next slide. If I simply look at them, the circumstances, my heart will be depressed, filled with a sense of sorrow. But if I see the whole, the ultimate, the unveiling of the purpose of God, if I really believe that the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the fruit. If I have seen God and know that his purpose is a purpose of great love, then surely I may triumph over circumstances, not in self, but in God. And that is flying, right? Knowing that the best is yet to come. Knowing that God does have a plan through it all. And it's a plan ultimately capped by his great love for us. That's why we who believe in Jesus Christ should be the most joy-filled people on the face of this earth because of this eternal hope that we have in God. Now, some of you may think, well, Bob, you know, I can see you're this optimistic person. Uh, you're this head-in-the-clouds kind of dude. Uh, me, on the other hand, like, I'm more pessimistic. Actually, pessimists, what do you guys say? Like, we're not pessimists, we're realists, right? Uh, but the quote we just read, what is most real is the whole. What is most real is the love of God. What is most real is the hope of heaven. See, this is what is most real. Quickly going back to my favorite band, Delirious. They had this song called Gravity. And one line is, gravity is pulling me, but heaven is calling me. And my favorite band now, Red, they have this song called Gravity Lies. Again, a lot of screaming. And they start screaming, right? Lies, lies, lies. And later, gravity lies. I feel it die. And the collective point is, gravity, what we see here on earth with our limited vision, with our limited physical eyesight, what we experience here on earth is only a part. It is, it is not the whole, right? If you only look at a part, then what are you believing? You're really believing a lie. It's a distortion of the real picture. What we need to see is the whole. We need to see with faith God's plan, God's love, the eternity that awaits us. That's the full picture, and that's what we should respond to. Our current circumstances, we can't explain everything, but we don't have to. We don't have to understand it all. That's where faith comes in. Habakkuk did not comprehend all of it. It's not like at the end of this book, he's like, oh, God, I get it now. I see it. I 100% understand where you're going. I get your plan. It's more like, I don't get it, God. I don't get it at all. I don't, I don't understand why you would do this. I'm, I'm flummoxed. I'm confused. And yet, I will rejoice. And yet, I will have hope. He even says, yet, I will dance and sing. Next slide, as Elizabeth Elliot once said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. And that's the secret of a flyer. And this mentality, it changes the way that we look at our disappointments. It changes the way that we respond to the struggles in life. Let me unpack this for us a little bit. So I read this book a few years back. Uh, these two baseball writers, they got to run their own baseball team this independent league team in Sonoma, California. So for six months, they invested all their time and energy. They looked to implement all their like, cool, newfangled strategies. If you follow baseball, you know that there's all these like, new strategies, new ideas, um, everything they could do to help their team win their league. 
And there's this part near the end of the book where the writer muses about the difference between winning and losing. Uh, if you're any kind of sports fan who really cares about the team, uh, you'll understand what he's talking about. Uh, and I'll connect it to our lives as well. So here's the gist of what he says. He says, when you win or your team wins, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just look at the nation of Canada when the Raptors won. Right? People are going nuts. Right? Winning rules. But here's the thing. Winning is great, but then it's over. There's still the pressure to win next year. Fans are the masters of, what have you done for me lately? Right? Even when we win, we need to win again. And again, we experience this phenomenon in our lives all the time. We win, we celebrate, but then we got to go out and win again. You get promoted. That's great. You celebrate. But now you got more responsibility. Right? Now you got to get that next promotion. You got to shoot for the next goal. You reach financial stability. That's great. You celebrate. But now you got to save up and build your, for your future. You're dating. Awesome. Are you going to marry that person? We're not. Right, you're married. Awesome. Now you got to build a good marriage and a good family. And that's why so many of us, we've, we've had our share of wins, but they're short-lived because we start thinking about the next challenge. However, going back to the book, the two baseball guys, they note, as great as winning is, losing is so much worse. Like Pastor Key, I'm a Mets fan, so we know, right? We're very familiar with the sensation of losing. And the author writes, I want to share this from Sam Miller, next slide. He says, losing is not only the absence of victory, but also the expenditure of an opportunity for victory. It's an opportunity cost. Once you lose, and we've all experienced loss and disappointment in our lives, not only have you lost that thing, you've also lost all the time, the energy, the mind energy, the heart energy, your investment. Right? It seems like we lost everything we put into it. We've all been there in our seasons of life. You prepare for that job interview, it doesn't work out. You pursue that relationship, it doesn't work out. You put all your eggs into this one gold basket and it falls apart. We try so hard, we're so invested, and it doesn't work. So then we end up devastated, we end up crestfallen. And unfortunately, many times we don't process it well. I'm not talking about lessons learned or I'll learn from my mistakes. I'm talking about the grief and the pain uh, we don't process it well, we don't grieve it well, and unfortunately, we end up becoming more jaded. And what happens is, because disappointment is such a regular thing in life, uh, losing is such a regular thing in life, we end up becoming deathly afraid of losing. We're so afraid of getting our hopes up for anything and then being disappointed. So as a result, we just stay guarded. We have this attitude, if it happens, it happens great but I don't want to get my hopes up. We excel in something I like to call disappointment management. We don't want to live with hope because our fear of loss and disappointment is what rules the day. Some of you, this has been going on for a long time in a certain area of your life. We're talking decades and decades. There was some disappointment, a certain area of your heart, maybe multiple disappointments, and you became jaded. You died a little inside. So you're the master at disappointment management in that area. One consequence of this is we don't share what we're going through. First, we don't even pray that much about it. We're scared that God won't answer our prayer, and as a result, we'll lose some faith in God. We'll lose some faith in the power of prayer. Uh, we also don't share with others. 
because then we have to tell people the bad news if it doesn't work out. So the less people invested, the less people we have to break it to when it goes bad. At my previous church, I just remember a few members interviewing for jobs and applying to schools, and they would keep it secret. Right? They didn't want to share it with people. They didn't want to share it in their small groups uh, because they didn't want to look bad. They, you know, they didn't want to look bad if it didn't work out. Uh, that's disappointment management. And I believe when we enter into that mode, we miss out on so much. We miss out on community. We miss out on an opportunity to grow, clo grow closer to God. We miss out on an opportunity to process our disappointments with the Lord. And truly, because of this hope we have in God, because of the reality of his great love for us, again, that is the whole, that is the reality. We should be people who do not fear disappointment. I want to look at another scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 58. It's a famous scripture. The Apostle Paul declares, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The context here is death. We do not have to fear death. And it has everything to do now with how we live our lives. We know that one day Jesus will raise the dead. Jesus who rose from the dead will himself raise us from the dead. He will call each of us by name. By the way, if anyone here, if you're not sure about Christianity, if you're not sure about the legitimacy of Jesus, I would strongly encourage you to study the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, study what historians, uh, not just the Bible, but what secular historians have said about, uh, concluded about the resurrection. There is credible evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So if we believe in Jesus' resurrection, if we believe in our resurrection, then we believe in our resurrection, that we will one day reign forever and ever with the Lord. This is a promise most secure, verse 57, that God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, that's why verse 58 is perfectly logical. We can stand firm. We can be unshakable. We can be immovable, completely steadfast, even when there's disappointment, even when there's points of stress. So I married the woman of my dreams. She's right there. And... Uh, <laughs> You can clap, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I had a list of five things I prayed for in a wife. I want to encourage those of you who are single, don't be shy. Uh, pray specifically about what you want. Uh, don't be afraid of disappointment. Pray and see what God can do. Uh, if anything, God will probably, I probably had a longer list and God pared it down. Right? God will do that. He'll purify your desires. Uh, but also praying specifically what I wanted in a wife, it also challenged me to be the kind of person who would jive well with that kind of wife. Right? So it's like a win-win, right? Uh, do you want to hear the five things? <laughs> they're very simple, okay? They're not like super specific. Uh, number one is a woman who loves God and submits to the authority of his word. Okay, so someone who doesn't just say they're Christian, but really seeks to live their lives in accordance with the Bible. Uh, number two is warm, friendly, hospitable. Uh, my wife is all three of those things. Uh, she's a great cook, all right? So come over sometime. Uh, number three is uh, not materialistic. So she loves food. She loves buying groceries, uh, but not like brand name clothing. So that's good. Um, number four <laughs> is um, 
She's open to the gifts of the spirit, right, which she is. Uh, number five is great chemistry, and that's like very nebulous, right? It's very hard to define. Uh, but I would define it this way. As you can probably tell by now, um, uh, you know, even from the sermon alone, I'm a pretty hopeful, happy, optimistic person. And I realized I wanted to marry someone similar, uh, someone who is also happy and joyful, someone who chooses to rejoice no matter the circumstance. And, and that's who Chongmin is, right? She's someone who can have a really bad and stressful day, uh, but at the day's end, she's still smiling and she's still thankful. And the point of that is not just how great my wife is. Uh, it's that these verses tell us that this kind of life is possible. We can reach this point where nothing moves us. Nothing moves us off our place of rejoicing. Nothing is successful at pushing us off that mountain where we're hopping and singing and dancing in the Lord. Now, again, that doesn't mean we don't grieve at times. It doesn't mean we don't get angry at injustice around us. And, of course, that doesn't mean we pretend that things are easy. But we know the end from the beginning. If you believe in the Word of God, then you and I both know the ending of the world. God wins. God is victorious. Jesus raises the dead. And what flying means is this. We know the end from the beginning. We know the end result is 100% guaranteed. Therefore, you and I can live our lives with great hope. Because even when there are losses, even when there is disappointment, we know how it ends. We know that God's love prevails. When you watch a movie, let's say you're watching a movie for the second time, and you know there's going to be a happy ending for the main character or the main characters, uh, it changes the way you look at their trials, right? It changes the way you look at their challenges, their suffering uh, throughout the movie. The same goes for us. The downs we face in life, the disappointments, the trials, the struggles, we don't have to manage them anymore. We can actually embrace them. We can actually be fully emotionally present in them because we know while life is hard, in the end, God wins. I want to share an, an anonymous quote. Next slide. It says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then nothing in life really matters. But if he did rise from the dead, then nothing else in life really matters. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he's going to raise all of us from the dead. That means we can fly now. We can live our lives with hope and passion and excitement and not be afraid of whatever comes our way. We can be unshakable. We can be immovable. That means there's two things we can do now. Number one, like I alluded to before, we can share our struggles. We can share our burdens. With close friends, yes, but I encourage us to take risks uh, in our family groups, in this New Mercy community. Share your prayer requests, uh, deeper prayer requests, desires of your heart. Don't be afraid of disappointment because even if you're disappointed, your hope is secure. Your heart is steadfast. You still can choose to rejoice. You still can choose to see the whole, not just the part. You believe that God is still at work on your behalf. Again, that is not just looking at the bright side of things. That is the true reality. And along those lines, number two is we believe any disappointment actually pulls us closer to God. My life is truly shaped by my prayers post-disappointments. That, that's the story of my relationship with God. That's how I've gotten closer to God over the years. Life would hit me with a disappointment, and it would drive me to pray. It would drive me to seek after God even more. This may sound ridiculous, and it is, but it's true. 
I used to get so upset after every Mets loss, right? And like I told you, I used to live right here on Broad Avenue. Uh, I love Broad Avenue. I've taken, you know, so many prayer walks. And I would walk from my home kind of near the uh, Ridgefield traffic circle, a little further down from the funeral home. And I would walk all the way to Broad and Palisades Boulevard, Donna's Pizza, Paris Baguette. It's about 40 minutes round trip. So, so many memories, so many great times. If you ever were walking Broad Avenue and you saw this somewhat short Korean guy, like looks like he's talking to himself and mumbling, that was me, right? So just, you know, so many great times, right? Walking and talking with God. And I would do that a lot after Mets losses, right? I would be upset, okay? And I'd have to go vent. So I would take a walk, okay? First five to 10 minutes, right? Maybe thinking about the game and angry about the Mets. But then it would turn to prayer, okay? Not for the Mets, but for more important things, right? Just pouring out my heart, right? Just, I'm feeling sad. Okay, what else am I sad about, right? Just pouring out my heart, just processing uh, whatever I'm going through. You know, whenever I felt lonely, which was a lot, right? I have a, you know, I, I really believe one secret of my life is being rich in friendship, but I still felt lonely, right? Because I wanted uh, romantic companionship. So again, lots of walks. I would just come before the Lord unfiltered, all the pain, all the struggles. And the same ones, okay? It's not like it was a new struggle. It's not like it was a new story. It's not like a new developing situation, right? It was the same struggle, right? The same prayer request. It always takes more than one time, right? Just bringing it over and over on the same walk before God. One way to fly is we constantly pour out our hearts before God. We share all the ups and downs, even the same ones, even the things you think God doesn't care about. He cares about you. He cares about what you care about. He cares about the things on our hearts. Habakkuk is actually the only Old Testament book where it's simply a dialogue between God and a man. Habakkuk speaks, then God speaks, right? They take turns. And this is a reminder to us, always keep the dialogue open. All topics of your heart. Always be circulating, going through them in your prayer life between you and God. Pastor Key just finished a series about hearing God. I listened to all the sermons. It's pretty good. Uh, if I could put a coda on it. Uh, one way we hear God is we pour our hearts before God. We pour out all our burdens, our fears, our, our, the seemingly insignificant to the very significant, all of it. All of it. And then we listen. And many times when we listen, we'll hear how much God cares for us. We'll hear how much God truly loves us. And again, I want to emphasize all. Some of us, because we've been jaded, because we've managed our disappointment, we have dead spots in our hearts. We've compartmentalized our hearts. We believe that God is good in like 90% of our lives. But there's like a specific area. There's a tender area where you've been disappointed, where you've experienced pain. Uh, you have trouble pouring that one out before God. You have trouble praying for it. Perhaps you haven't processed it. You don't actually believe that God is good in that area of your life. So you just kind of leave it alone. You've given up on it. But God wants all of our hearts. God wants to heal us. And one way true healing starts is we begin to pour out that heart, right, that, that desire, that area before God. I told you, you know, as a career single, right, I went on a lot of dates. I got rejected a lot. Okay, but I refused to be, become somebody who would be jaded as a result. 
Right? I would process every single rejection, every single failure, uh, resolving to believe in the goodness of God in that area of my heart, in that area of my life. Some of you here today, you're battling right now. You're struggling to believe in God's goodness in a certain area of your life. And I just want to exhort you to keep fighting, keep praying, keep pouring it out, keep asking others for support. Don't let your heart die. Don't let your heart believe the lie that God is not good, that God does not care about that part of your life. Okay, that is the lie. So fight. Fight the good fight against it. A heavy heart causes drag. It, it keeps us from lifting off. But if we empty our heart out, if we pour our heart out regularly, then we'll truly fly. We'll be free. So again, the key is to keep that line of communication open between you and God. A final point. There are three phases of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The first is when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Our soul becomes saved. We call that being justified. Our sins are forgiven. We receive the righteousness of Christ. The second is the rest of the time while we're here on earth. We become more like Jesus. That's called being sanctified. Our way of thinking changes. Right? One way you know that you're growing, one way you know that you're really walking with God is you're being convicted of your sin. And maybe even things that you thought you made up your mind on, you changed your mind on because you read something in the Word of God. Right, so that's our mind being saved. And that's been the focus of today's message. Flying is a way of thinking, rising above our circumstances, choosing joy even in the midst of sorrow, pouring out our hearts before God instead of managing our disappointments. But here's the thing. If we stopped at this point, if my sermon on flying was over now, you might be like, Bob, you're telling me that flying is a way of thinking. Bob, do I actually get to fly? Anyone think that? Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you and I actually fly? If I stop right now, the message is incomplete. Flying would just be this cool idea, a nice way of thinking in our present-day lives here on earth. However, there is a third stage of our salvation. It's called you and I one day being glorified. And this is when our bodies get saved. Up to this point, it's our soul and our mind getting saved. And that's really important. That's pretty awesome. Okay, I want to share with you from Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I want everyone right now to look at your own body. What do you think? Do you like it? Whether you like it or not, your body right now is not saved. Okay, this, like this verse says, your body is lowly. Okay, if you think your body is saved, then look at my body. Okay, I'm a pastor. My body isn't saved either. Okay, this is not a heavenly body. But what the Bible promises us is our frail, our weak, our lowly bodies will one day become glorified bodies. Do you know what that means? It means one day we will fly. We will literally fly. That is not purely metaphorical. That is not just in theory. This is our assured reality. Praise the Lord. 
Those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, one day we will all be with God and with our glorified bodies, light and nimble and quick. And that's why, like this verse says, we eagerly await. We can't wait. I can't wait. You can't wait. We can't wait till that day comes because that's when the reality becomes reality. The final principle of being a flyer is that, yes, one day you and I will fly. And as you could probably determine, it's not just our bodies. I want to leave with one final promise, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. One day we will be with God forever in the new heaven and the new earth. And we will see so clearly how everything was worth it. We're going to see that the glory that will be revealed in us, that we will get to enjoy in full, we will then realize there is no comparison. It was difficult here on earth. But now that we're here in eternity, flying forever with God, it's like you can't even put them on the same scale. That's how off the charts it's all going to be. It's what we get to look forward to as the people of God. So we fix our eyes on that reality that renews our minds. It empowers us to live our lives today with great hope. And until that day, we fly here on earth. We rejoice even in the midst of trouble. We leap for joy even during the days of disappointment. We fix our eyes on Jesus, for he is our great hope. Let's pray together. So, God, we thank you that you empower us, God, to live with great hope. Uh, like we sang before, your name is hope, God. Your name gives us hope. Your name empowers us to make our feet like the feet of a deer, God, to, to not just get by, God, to not just manage our disappointments, to not just believe that God is good in 80, 90% of our lives, but to truly believe, to see the whole, to see the reality to see the fullness of your great love for us, God, to see what Jesus' death on the cross truly means, God, that how much you love us, God, and how that love is freely available to us, that unfailing love, God. So, God, right now, we just present our hearts to you. God, we, whatever dead spots there are, whatever jadedness there is, whatever fights we're battling, I just pray for grace right now, God, for those of us who are fighting any battles in our hearts, God, we're struggling to believe that you are good in this area of our lives. God, we've, we've been so damaged, God. We've been so wounded. We've been, we're scared, God, to offer it up again to you, God, because we don't know what's going to happen. But, God, we pray that you would help us, Lord. God, that you would empower us, God, to bring those things before you. God, to bring our disappointments before you. Even the same ones, God, even the re repetitive ones, God, over and over before you, God, to pour out our hearts in prayer, God. And when we pour out our hearts, God, that we would see you, God, that we would see how much you care for us, God, that we would see how much you love us, God. We would see, God, that you are actually good in that area of our hearts, that you are actually good in that area of our lives, God. So, God, help us, Lord, not to give up. God, help us, Lord, to claim this promise anew today. That we claim this promise freshly today, God. God, that we will rejoice in you, God. 
God, that you will make our feet like the feet of a deer, God. That we, we can fly, God. We can choose joy, God. We can even jump for joy, God, and sing and dance, God, because of you, God, because of your love for us, Lord. Thank you, God. We just pray that you just continue to be at work, God, in our hearts, in our lives, God, that we would discover more and more how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Christ, God, that we would grasp this love that surpasses knowledge, God. May that be true of us individually, and may that be true of us as a church, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.